Hi there, everybody, and welcome back to the Happy Meter podcast, an opportunity for me to chat with my dear friend from whom I'm always learning more, Justin Garrett, about the Happy Meter, a philosophy that's centered on the balance between our passions and our life objectives and the things that bring us joy and financial wellness. My name is Kevin Ford. Thanks so much for being with us today. Justin, how you doing? Hey, Kevin. I'm still up in New York here, uh, quarantining. Uh, this is what, I think it's eight weeks, seven weeks by now, I think we've been outside of school. Yeah. At least six or seven. So I just, uh, bef- before we did this recording this morning, my Sunday routine is to, you know, put an itinerary of every day's objectives for my students and all the assignments and all stuff. And um, on that, it's six weeks. We're in our sixth week. But I know that that doesn't include spring break, which was about a week and a half. So that makes it about seven, a little more. And then we also had a kind of like a halvesy week. Yep. Uh, we ended early. So I, I think, yeah, we're knocking on the door of eight weeks how do you think uh, the distance learning is going for you in general? How are you and your students, you think, um, weathering this? Um, I think that my school, my staff, my students and myself, we're doing absolutely the best we can. Yeah. We're, and I, again, I'm reminded of the, the deeper things that teachers provide to families, students, and communities. Stability, connectedness, socialization, uh, and even just challenging the mind to a focus outside of itself. Because right now, if we're all trapped in our houses and we're trapped in our own minds without any stimulation, I think that's a recipe for sadness uh, and for isolation. But when there's something outside yourself from a teacher, a friend, what have you, it, it removes you from your circumstance, sure. uh, which is by the way, what I love about literature and what I love about um, games and creating things and all that. Um, but I think we're doing the best we can. And I keep reminding myself under these extraordinary circumstances, good enough probably needs to be good enough. Hmm. Um, so we're not doing as much. We're not going to cover as much material. We're going a lot slower, but there are deeper things at hand. What about you? Yeah. You know, I feel the same way. And I was reflecting a lot on how strong, uh, my leadership team in my school actually has been through this. They came out with just a very clear, concise plan that I didn't find was overwhelming for any staff members. Uh, I think even I have a team of six people that I, um, teach with and there's a variety of them with many kids at home and have a lot of other uh, obligations going on in their life and I think they felt even that the happy medium was met between creating something that was flexible that still showed care and compassion towards kids and still delivered content but wasn't overboard given the situation and so um yeah I I've I was just my administration has been awesome and the, the plan that they created with us and the amount of delivery that we're giving kids and the flexibility we're giving kids and grades and what we're doing has been awesome. And so, um, you know, we're working hard through it. And I hope we're providing something for parents and kids that they've enjoyed. And also, the most importantly, I hope that us, our check-ins that we do weekly and our all the communication that we're doing, I hope is just conveying our love for them and how much we miss them. And so it's interesting times. Yeah. And it is certainly also a stressful time, but if we all take a breath and if we uh, treat each other with a little grace, whether that's our administrators or our colleagues or even families and stuff, we realize there's a lot of room for gratitude. And it's a remarkable thing to see so many different constituencies coming together to to say society matters, we care about each other and we're here for each other. Yeah. Well, one thing about being up here in New York is I've been recording this podcast around my family. And so in the background, uh, two rooms over, I know my dad is probably listening right now. He actually really likes this stuff. And so he um, had a really awesome idea for for an episode, which was about um, 
kind of letters or ideas or lessons that we wish we, we wish we did when we were younger and we first started in our careers. And so every day after I record this episode, my dad barrels into me after I close out and he just starts yelling at me about uh, the different types of lessons that he wish I convey constantly to the audience about what he wishes he did when he first started his career at 21, 22, 23. Um, yeah. Well, and, and Bruce, and that's funny because in my mind, Bruce did this uh, about perfectly. He, to me, he's a saving legend. You know, just everything he does is careful, it's calculated, it's intentional. Um, and my so, dad, my dad was uh, just a little backstory on him. A little, he's uh, he's been a um, food administrator for the New York State prison system, so very average middle life type career. But he started that when he was 21, 22, and he did 31, 32 years with them. And um, he ended up just retiring last year with a with a you know a nice pension because of his consistency of of committing to that many years. Awesome. But um, he's a, he's he's a, one of the most hardworking guys I've ever met. Yeah, and you, I think you shared with me before we started recording that he had a couple of object- was it like three four bits of advice that he wishes he could have given himself. Yeah. So the number one thing for he oh, was like. Before you go- I, so I've spent a lot of time with the legend that is Mr. Bruce Garrett. Yeah. And I want to try to convey to our listeners because I feel like a lot of them have not met this man. And despite the, the biography here, I, I'm, I would like to suggest a few things that he probably in my mind are his saving hacks. Now you let me know if I'm on the, if I'm close, if I'm hot or up. So number one, Bruce Garrett is the truest hunter I've ever met in my life. Uh, I'm from Maryland. I'm from the suburbs of Maryland and now live in, uh, in the city of Baltimore. So not a lot of authentic hunters going out there and taking care of business. But your father really knows what he's doing. He take, he's uh, participating in all the seasons, I think. Yeah, um, I would say that. He knows how to handle the, um, that which he takes care of. And, uh, you know, <laughs> when you left to go back up north, uh, we still have a half a freezer full of venison so that if quarantine gets really bad and if something happens with grocery stores, I'm set on protein for the foreseeable future. Whether it's ground venison, venison steak, I've had venison tacos, venison pizza, venison everything. So I feel like number one is probably learn to hunt. Is that one of them? It isn't on here because he kind of thought that that would just be something everybody should understand. <laughs> but <laughs> what's interesting is my dad's as far as saving costs, and, and this is not even something he means to do. It's just kind of who he is. One, he's a hunter, so he, he is and I'm not, he took me hunting once, but I couldn't sit still more than a minute or two. And so that was it for that. But, um, he, you know, a hundred minute, he's a hunter and a fisherman. So, you know, a lot of meals come from there. Um, he has a garden. Um, he likes, you know, um, growing from scratch. And so it's our, a, it's a flourishing garden. I mean, I sure. he set up his own little fence. He's aware of the animals in the area that he needs to ward off. It's impressive. Yeah. And, you know, those things in general, and on top of that, we have a wood stove and he loves cutting wood. I know it's an odd, he loves splitting and cutting wood and going to find wood. And so those three things do lower expenses a lot, but what's interesting, those things actually just make him really happy and they just coincidentally also lower his expenses and specifically in retirement, those three main things are what a lot of people are spending a lot of money on, especially in the wintertime with fuel oil and everything else. And so he doesn't have those there. But beyond that, he had a few um, things he was like, please share with your audience, like, I know a lot of your, your people are listening are between 21 and 35 and they're just starting out with their careers and they're like, hey, do this now. And number one, he always tells me this story. There was an older guy who was a coworker of his when he first started in the New York State prison system. And he's like, hey, Bruce, just throw in a few dollars a month into your deferred compensation plan. And that's your retirement plan at work. 
and he didn't do it for a little bit of time. It took him like a year or two before he listened to this guy. And then he first started with just throwing $50 or $100 in this deferred compensation plan. And then he realized that it just kept growing and growing. And over time, he added more money to it. However, we've already learned on the, our episodes here the power of compounding, Kevin. And he always says, man, if I started throwing money away, uh, throwing money into this deferred compensation plan, when I first started work and every raise that I got, if I just put a little bit of that money into that deferred compensation plan, I'd have tons more money than what I do right now. And that was one piece of advice. He's like, please share with your audience members. Absolutely. And so I wonder for a lot of people that work in a union and that have a pension they can rely on, that probably seems almost excessive because you have the pension. Uh, but magic of compounding interest, if you're able to live within your means, you get that raise, you get that overtime uh, to be able to throw that into some additional retirement plan is something I increasingly appreciate. Yep. And your, your pension's only going to typically cover 50 to 60% of your typical income. And so to have a supplemental retirement plan where you can just throw a little extra money in to watch it build, if you have a pension is very important. Um, second thing he goes on and on about is stay the course. Meaning when things get murky out there with the investment world, like we are going through even right now with the coronavirus, where we saw a 30% drop in this drop in the stock market. In 2008, he'll say in 2001, where we had big market crashes, he listened to the news and coworkers who scared him a lot. And he ended up during really down markets, convert a lot of his assets from stocks to, to a safe asset, which is bonds and cash. And so while the market was down, he actually sold those stocks and went to a safer avenue, which ended up really hurting him. And it wasn't until three or four years after the market rebounded where he shifted his money back in. And then the last thing he just said is like, man, I just wish I, since I didn't know anything about investments, I wish I hired somebody who would help me, who was on my side a little bit earlier. Cause he didn't hire somebody until about seven or eight years ago. And if he did so when he was 21 to 35, I think he'd have a really beautiful compound of nest egg that he created. So those were things he's like, share the audience, share with the audience. And thankfully we've already covered some of those subjects a little bit with our audience, especially that third one, the idea with getting a financial advisor knowing what kind you might want, whether it's someone with a fiduciary responsibility or someone that's going to you know, be focusing on other kinds of opportunities for you. Um, I'm pleased that though a little later than uh, I began my career, uh, I'm starting, you can tell your dad, I'm starting to check some of those boxes. So I'm really happy about that. I was just thinking that Kev, like your last two years, you have made just a touch of 360 and like, you know, we just met not too long ago and like when we started being able to look at what you can put away into different avenues and think about, if you can do that now at 30, 31, what's going to be happening with that amount? And when you're 60, it's going to be pretty cool to look at. And so, you know, kudos to you, man. Well, and thank you for coaching me through it. And on that note, uh, the idea of getting started a little bit late, but finally getting to that point, that's the theme of our episode today. Uh, it's almost like a letters to your younger self. What are the things you wish you could have told uh, young Justin, young Kevin, and for our listeners, take a moment to think, what do you wish you had known earlier? What would you tell yourself now? What are the lessons you've learned? Um, I know we each challenge ourselves to come up with a couple of them. Um, do you want to start us off, Justin? Sure. Well, one thing is because of, I think, my dad's influence, I've always been a pretty good saver. And even since I remember I was really young, 10, 14, 16, um, I have kind of lived through this happy meter. Where, like, I really value, I remember I was a, a weed whacker at a, at a golf course, my nearby golf course, my uncle, um, as a superintendent there. And I literally weed whacked for eight hours a day, 40 hours a week when I was growing up. And I remember making $6 or $6.25, $6.25 an hour. And I remember at the end of the day, I made like 40 bucks. And when you think about the insane amount of work that it took 
for me to just make those few dollars, it really triggered something inside of me at a young age of the, of, of the value of a dollar. And so I was always a really good saver and didn't spend on nonsense really early on. So that was not something. But one thing for me that I wish I did much differently is when I first started teaching, one is I wish I hired a fee-only advisor who I could just sit down with who can get me going with two plans. One is a deferred compensation plan called a 403B. And the other is a deferred compensation plan called a 457. Um, we're going to talk about those actually in our next, next episode, Kevin. So I don't want to go into detail on those. But if I started those two accounts um, when I was 21 and just started teaching, and then every raise that I got, I put a little bit more into those accounts, um, the last 10 years, my net worth would be substantially larger. And again, my financial advisor, who allegedly, um, I'm going to call him that, um, at the beginning of my teaching career, he didn't advise me to put my money into those two accounts because they were under his assets to manage, which means he didn't make any money off of that. And again, that's one of those things we talked about last episode on making sure you hire the, the, the right person with the right incentive um, to help you. So what about you, Kev? What's your uh, first? It's just interesting to me that I, as in so many other elements of our friendship, I'm kind of the other side of the coin. Uh, you know, your first bit of advice has to do with immediately accumulating or building wealth. Sure. And mine had more to do with um, a mitigation or avoidance of debt. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm talking about is undergraduate, uh, for me, University of Maryland, College Park, shout out Terps. And I wish I could have told myself to apply the sensibility of the happy meter to my on-campus housing. So mm. housing in Maryland can be limited, especially when there's an influx of students. And so I lived in traditional uh, residence halls my freshman and sophomore year, made some of my best friends in the world. And we were really eager and excited junior and senior year to move into these on-campus public-private partnership, kind of swanky for a college campus, um, apartments. And I wonder if I were to distill it, why did we want to do that? We as best friends, uh, four of us all together, we wanted to live together. I think we were eager to be a little bit more adult, to have a kitchen, to have a real fridge, to have a living room and to have our own bedroom so we're not sharing with an immediate roommate. Um, and I, I, that's kind of about it. And I think we wanted to be able to host friends. We could have moved off campus into College Park. And now that I live in Baltimore, especially, I know how doable that is. We would have grown so much more as adults and into our mature selves. But instead, we went into this public-private partnership. Clean, again, very nice. I don't regret the decision for any of the living, like, living experiences. But the monthly rent was, if I remember correctly, close to $900 each. So that's significantly more than what we're paying in our rent here in Baltimore right now for a home that is far superior with a rooftop deck in a primo neighborhood. Um, and so I wish I could have had that conversation because I think the same experiences could have happened in an off-campus house, but there would have actually been even more growth and it would have been less debt on the back end. You know what's amazing about what you just did? Um, you just really went through the idea of the happy meter with a decision that you made, right? Like the idea that what is actually important you, you're talking about this one situation, but we've done this now with our first activity, which was using the happiness meter to build a life that was optimized. You're talking about if you actually went back and said, okay, this is what's important to me. One, friendship. You know, I want my best friends around, a safe environment. Like you had that list there. If you could cut the waste of like the high-end stuff that really wasn't bringing value to you, that so many people spend money on, and you actually got to the foundation of what's important here, you would have saved a lot of money and you probably would, would have been just as happy. And if we can tailor, I love that you just shared that because I think if everyone in the audience could 
think about their decisions with that lens as far as what's really important here, what waste can I cut out that's not going to add value, and and really dive into that. It could really make a difference in long-term wealth building. And a, a sneaky side point that I know we're probably going to talk about in another episode, inherent to that advice is avoid being branded. Like just because those apartments had a swanky name that everyone liked did not make it the best choice. Similarly, uh, Justin Garrett, you know that just because – Safeway has a big name and is nearby, does it not make it the best choice for your grocery shopping needs? But that's for another episode. You know, that, that goes to clothing, that goes to car purchases, that goes to liquor choices. I mean, whatever it is out there, right? Like so many times we have uh, marketing experts that have done something in our head that said, this is the best. Yes. And maybe that is true sometimes, but not all the time. And to be aware of that, I think is key. Um, second thing is for me is when I first uh, started into investing, I, um, individually stock picked. And so what that means is that I went after and I thought, hey, these different securities, like let's say an Amazon or Apple or a General Electric, I invested in individually stock, individual stocks. And I really, that was really young and dumb at the time. And I realized over my last nine or 10 years of renaissance and learning all about financial literacy, that I, for me and my comfort level, lever, I am much uh, better off at investing in mutual funds. And mutual funds are um, big baskets of stocks where there's many, 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 many stocks in one. So it's a very much more diversified um, risk tolerance, still sees growth, but it doesn't have to put all your eggs in one basket. And again, when I first started, and like so many people out there, they see the radio or the newspaper or the TV saying, hey, buy this stock. Hey, this is going to make you a millionaire overnight. And I realized how much nonsense that was. And I realized that, hey, my best option for wealth building is to buy a big basket of United States companies that I believe in and contributing over and over and over again. And still, instead of trying to play darts with individual stocks, I'm not a good dart player. I can hit the board, so I'm going to buy all the stocks, but I'm not going to hit one number. And so I know that, and it's when I made that shift, and maybe five or six years ago, um, I really started to see my wealth build at a much more um, uh, reasonable, uh, safe way. So, absolutely. My second one is feels so rudimentary and so basic, but I wish that upon earning my first true income, so not just summer jobs and not just you know a stipend for being a teaching assistant or something. But when I first had an income to actually sit down and write a real budget, um, I didn't do that for a couple of years. And I will grant my younger self that there are lessons you got to learn. At the same time that I wrote that I was getting an income for the first time, that was my first time paying for all my travel by myself for the first time. You know that we started traveling a lot more. I was doing more authentic grocery shopping than I'd ever done. So there were lessons to be learned about where you want your money to go and what you need it to go to. Uh, but it doesn't change the fact that I know I would have been saving earlier. I would have avoided some of the later financial issues had I simply wrapped my mind around what money do I have and what does it need to go to a little earlier. Yeah, and I can't stress this enough to everybody. And I think we've talked about this now for like four out of five or six episodes, Kevin. <laughs> Having a written budget allows you to sign your dollars to what's important to you and your values. If you don't assign your money to something, it's going to find somewhere to go. All right, it's like a roaring brook. All right, it's gonna get hung up. Your money's gonna get hung up, hung up, uh, hung up on this rock or that rock. But if you assign it to this priority and that priority and this priority, okay, that's how we live an optimized life. And that's how a lot of that end up wasting, where money just kind of floats wherever, can be, really be 
hit in and nailed into the specific thing that you really wanted to do. And so having a written budget's key. And, you know, over the last year, you've really hit that on the stone, Kevin. And when we did that, you found lots more money that you really didn't know existed that kind of float away to eating out here or this here. And instead you were able to say, oh, I have this amount of money left over every month. I'm going to, before my hands get on it, I'm going to assign a direct job into this debt or into this savings. And that's the secret here. And yeah. so that written budget is key. Yeah, let it work for you. Don't let it burn a hole in your pocket. Absolutely. Um, the next one for me is, if you look at my budget, the my first four or five years um, as a full-time uh, teacher, I, I've always been obsessed with travel, but I was spending a significant amount of money on travel. And I am happy with that. Like, if you look at my happy meter, traveling with uh, loved ones is like top up there, right? And so I don't mind spending a lot of money on travel. However, I learned um, about five or six years ago that there's a lot of travel hacks out there to save a lot of money. And those are going to come out on this podcast when we start to hopefully be able to travel sometime again soon. But um, a few things just, I learned the power of welcome bonuses on credit cards that could contribute to lots of bonus points for my um, flights um, and things like that. And so um, just learning how to travel hack at a much better level where like, okay, I want to go here. These are the things that are important to me. Let's cut out, cut out the things there that are not important. And let's dive into what I really want to do with that location. Um, that has really transformed my travel experience, which has allowed me to travel a lot more on an even cheaper budget than I did my first few years of teaching. Yeah, that actually syncs uh, interestingly with my last one, my third and final one, um, because there are so many rules that I've primarily learned from you, but also from my parents, uh, rules that should guide your selection of credit cards, your use and utilization of credit cards. And those very bonuses you mentioned, when you're strong enough in your budget, and when you comprehend the cognitive dissonance that credit cards present, then yeah, you can manipulate those incentives to your own benefit. But the reason they exist in the first place is to take advantage of people that aren't at that status yet. So uh, I look forward to us maybe doing an episode at some point where we can talk to our listeners about how to be in your kind of mentally strong, financially responsible space so you can be traveling cheaper and not actually just spiraling into a debt that's gonna benefit the banks. Um, but so mine, which is similar is credit cards. I really wish I had had a firmer understanding of how you establish credit how you build your credit rating and what you should really look for in a credit card. My very first one ever, I think I got right as I was graduating high school and my parents suggested it's important to build credit. So here's a credit card. Well, they helped me do I don't, I think they picked it for me and they always said, pay it off right away, which is a lesson I eventually kind of forgot. But this was an annual fee of over a hundred dollars and it was an APR of about uh, 32%, something along that line, it was around 30%, which is abusive. Mm -hmm. And the credit limit they gave me very quickly was over $30,000. So it seemed in some ways like a miracle to a young person, sure. but, but it was also constantly going to be sucking at my uh, financial wellness. And if I had maybe, let's say I had that card, if I had merely opened up another card that had no annual fee, at any APR, but no annual fee, within a year or two, I would have had a similarly sufficient time of credit now as the initial one, but I could have closed that initial one, never pay that annual fee again, and still retain uh, the credit history length. Uh, whereas uh, as a consequence of waiting on that, I've recently closed that first card, thank goodness. But I know that that's gonna have a, a larger impact to, to bounce back from 
because that was over 10 years, closer to like 15, uh, 12 years, yeah, of credit building that from their perspective is now washed. So being careful about credit card selection, especially early. Yeah, I think that makes it a really good point, Kev, about credit cards. I mean, they have these points programs to entice people to not only sign up for their credit card, but actually to overspend on their credit card because credit card companies make the majority of their money off of late fees and high interest payments. And so the majority of people out there that are in debt still should not own a credit card. If you're not able to pay your monthly, uh, pay your, your monthly bill on your credit card, shouldn't have a credit card. Don't buy the thing. And then finally, unless you're on a strict diet, strict diet, on a strict budget, financial diet. if you're on a strict budget that you're not overspending or over-purchasing something just because it goes on a card, then maybe a credit card to use for your advantage for points is something for you. But there's very few people out there at that stage right now. And again, the majority of people are overspending on credit cards. The majority of people are, you know, spending money because they're going to get this point and that point. And all that ends up doing is charge late fees and interest rates that are insane amounts. And so being very careful with credit cards is a, um, a really good reflection, Kev. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I do want to share just a few things as far as um, some, so there's many, many, I'm in a bunch of financial advising, um, uh, pod, not podcasts, Facebook groups. And so what's interesting, this question gets posed a lot. And so I wanted to share out some of the most common things that I see uh, people share as far as things that they wish they did and wish they started when they were younger. And so I just have a general list and we'll see if they connect to some of the things that we said or what Bruce shared in the beginning. Sure. Um, so the first thing was, was starting earlier is number one out there. Like every universal. single person, yeah. universal. I wish I started earlier. And you know, Kev, I think we all wish we started earlier. Even the person who started investing at 21 would say, hey, I wish I started at 20. The bottom line is we can't sit there and go on about the past. We can say, hey, no matter if you're 80, 70, 20, or 10 today, like I can make this change today and I can save a little bit more today and it will help me with tomorrow. And so whatever age that is for you, I think um, is really good advice because everybody would say that. I don't care if you're me at 30. I don't care if you're, you know, my dad at 60. Everyone's going to say that. Yeah, the good thing is to start. It doesn't matter when, but make sure that when you look back, there was a time that you started. Uh, number two, getting on a budget. Did we nail that already, Kev? Sure did. <laughs> yeah, I think I brought that up every single day. Written budget. I don't care if it's on a napkin, a piece of paper, an Excel sheet, or an app. Like, have it written down and track your expenses. You will find, you're going to find a raise for yourself in that money. You're going to find, oh my God, I've got like 500 bucks in here. I don't have assigned anything. Like, it's amazing what happens when you actually write down what you need to spend and what you spend on paper. Mm -hmm. um, number three, spending money on things. I'm sorry, spending money on memories, mm. like travel versus things. Yes. Any thoughts on that, Kev? Um, it's something that uh, I've tried to bring into my gift giving as well. Mm. So whether it's Christmas, which is a really big deal in my family, uh, or even birthdays, and certainly for myself as a recipient, I would rather have an opportunity to do something that might've otherwise been outside my financial grasp uh, or to just make a memory with the people that care about me. And that's a more demonstrative gesture to me as well, that the person giving me the gift knows me because if they're able to find an experience that will be meaningful for us to share, that's so much better than just getting me another mug or getting me a gift that like a book that I told them I wanted. That's too obvious. So I think memories are, um, a truer, more worthy expense. 
Yeah. What's interesting, Kev, is I love this one idea is my, one of my mom's best friends, I was speaking to her the other day and they were on a little wine happy hour on Zoom. And um, she was sharing out that the one thing she really misses was um, taking her grandkids um, out to a date and a movie for their birthdays. And like, that's as simple as a really cool thing where instead of them buying gifts, they go out to the movies, spend time together and catch up and get a meal together. Like yeah. that's, alone like a really really cool thing i've also heard like some parents instead of wanting to leave uh, or grandparents instead of wanting to leave you know money and a trust for some of their kids if they have money is they take them on certain trips like another really cool thing like instead of giving material things doing something that's going to create a memory with you and your loved ones is a pretty cool thing so i like that one a lot and and know i know for me i don't own a lot of things but i travel a lot and so i think this this i love this this one here yeah what are the uh, the last couple you got so the next one here is drive a piece of crap. <laughs> and yeah, resonates with me. <laughs> yeah, me too. I mean, we both have super old cards, cars. And you know what's interesting about a car? And I've shared this before on a podcast is you have an expensive car. Typically, if you're still getting out of debt or you don't have an emergency fund bill, the average car loan in America is around $500. And if you're putting four, five, $600 a month into a car loan, think about how much money that is per month that can go towards wealth accumulation, but instead going towards a, uh, a vehicle that depreciates in value. On top of that, you also, the higher expensive car you have, the more car insurance you typically need. And so this is a recurring monthly expense, your car that just keeps going over and over and over again. Hey, and listen, someday when you're wealthy and you've got a lot of money and you want to buy a fancy car because it tickles your happy meter, <laughs> great. But I think the majority of people that are just starting out and don't have a large amount of wealth accumulated not buying a fancy car and buying just a reliable car that's going to get you from A to B is going to make you a much more wealthier person. Yeah. Quick fun fact. Uh, what year was your car? Do you know? I had a 05, but I think yours is less than that. Oh, I got no four. Okay. <laughs> got you cool. way here. Yeah. All right. Uh, so to end the show today, I know that we wanted to talk travel hack, but I also want to combine that with uh, what I'm calling a happy meter memory. Okay. So Justin, you give the hack and then I would like to share the happy meter memory. Yeah, so we started out uh, in the beginning here just talking about my dad. And again, one of the most hardest working. He was unbelievable dad to me. He's, uh, I just shout out to Bruce. Um, he gave me so many different things that I, you know, he's just who I am. Um, but one thing he taught me was on when we do travel, my dad is the king of packing a cooler. Mm. And so him and I, um, just last year, we went to Colorado and did a two-week ski trip together out there. And sure enough, my dad brings a cooler. We tape it up. It's a big zipper cooler. We put it in the airplane as a checked bag, Southwest, two, two bags for free. One of them's our skis. The other one's our cooler bag. And inside that cooler bag is a bunch of frozen meat for us to use for the whole week. And when we land, we just go to Walmart, get the veggies, and we don't have to spend any money on any meat because we have a whole cooler of venison. And so, you know, shout out to my dad who, um, and we've done that on a lot of our trips, whether it's an island trip to San Juan or it's a camping trip, like my dad is the cooler master. And I just think about how, many, how much money we've saved as a family to be able to not have to spend uh, our food budget is just not through the roof on vacations, which allows us to vacation more. Well, and don't sell yourself short. This is a skill that has trickled down through the generations. <laughs> oh, God, uh, here we go. All our <laughs> listeners, one of the best vacations, and we've had some amazing ones, uh, was a trip that we took it with, as a group to Puerto Rico. We had an amazing Airbnb right near the beach. We had a pool. It was gorgeous. But I remember that we were flying from different places. I know where this you is gone, coming. <laughs> yeah, you've gone to Aldi. You got the chips, the salsa, the snacks. You told us where you were doing this. And then you went. And then you called me from wherever you were before I was going to get in the car to go to BWI. And you said... 
Gav, I, I left a bag. Can, do you mind just getting that for me and just checking it for me? And I said, sure, where is it? He goes, well, it's, it's actually the freezer bag. It's down in the basement. And um, <laughs> I want you to put the ham in it. So Justin had bought a massive ham, a whole ham, uncooked ham, and put it like Christmas style and put it in our freezer. And he was asking me to transport it. Kevin, I, was, I still remember that ham, typically like 20 bucks. It was 75% off. I got it for 485 for a big ham at um, Aldi's after the holidays. Shout out to Aldi's. <laughs> and I remember being just mortified because he's asking me to just travel with a hunk of meat. I've never done this before. And I'm nervous going through TSA, but they let it pass. We got it down to Puerto Rico. You spent like a day cooking this ham and it was just magnificent. It was scrumtrelescent. And we ate it, I think, for four different meals. It just kept getting better and better. So the, the legend of the Garrett ham goes down in our uh, Baltimore group um, lore. You know, it is it is a funny story, but in general, though, one thing for me to be able to vacation as much as, or to travel as much as I do, is to just be really thoughtful and intentional about my spending on each trip, right? So on a typical day, I, I vacationed with people who eat out two or three meals a day. And that adds up to be a substantial amount. For me, my rule is usually I love to go out and support the local restaurants and taste the local cuisine, but once a day is good. So if I can bring another meal um, per day where I don't have to go and spend that out for seven, nine, or 10 days, whatever the trip is, that's a substantial savings to only eat out once instead of three times a day. And again, I don't think I'm lowering my happy meter. Like I'm still eating you know, out really well once a, once a meal. And on the other one, it's kind of fun to cook in and, and hang out with your friends inside the house and, and to do that. And so, um, yeah, that's one thing. But I love the, the cooler story is a funny one. Thank you for embarrassing me, Kev. Oh, absolutely. Anytime. <laughs> And so to all of our listeners, as you think about the happy meter, as you think about where you are right now in your financial journey, uh, take a moment and think about what are the biggest lessons you learned? What do you wish you'd told yourself? And what wisdom might you have to pass on to someone else? Thank you so much for listening today. We'll be with you again soon. Uh, Justin, always great chatting with you, buddy. Good chatting with you too, Kev. Thank you for always clearing up my words. You're just, you're, you're, <laughs> words magician. Thank you. Thanks. See you, bud. All right. See you.